0: Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction.
1: Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic.
0: We provide care to adults 18 plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee.
1: And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute.
0: All
2: right, so... Uh, This last round was my second time. First time was in 2015. Um, And I remember thinking back then, greatest decision of my life. Had a little slip. And then um, moved to Texas for a while and had a big slip. Mm -hmm. And then moved back with my tail between my legs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I came up and actually met my now current fiance. Um, and he kept saying, babe, babe, like, just getting bad again. Just getting bad again. It was sometime around Thanksgiving, just before Thanksgiving. I didn't realize how bad it had gotten. And I was taking care of my 84 year old grandmother at the time. She was living with me and we were living together. And, and she came into my room and she's like, You need to get up. You've been in bed for like 19 hours. Wow. And I was waking up, you know, periodically and taking more drinks and then passing out again and taking more drinks. And I didn't realize I had been in bed that long. Mm -hmm. And um, I somehow managed to get out of the bed. I made it to the bathroom. And I don't know if I tripped over the rug or what I did, but I ended up backwards, sideways in the tub with my feet hanging out of the tub, mm-hmm. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't get anything to work. I tried and tried and tried for like 15 minutes. I couldn't get out of the tub. And so I finally, and I of course my phone's in the room. So I, And my fiance luckily lives like a mile and a half away at that time. And grandma can't lift me out of the tub. She's 94 pounds wet. Mm-hmm. And... Arthritis and osteoporosis and everything. So I was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, so I finally started screaming for my grandma. Of course, I'm in just underwear, embarrassing as hell. And I said, I can't get my arms to work. I can't get out of the tub. I can't get out of the tub. I don't know what to do. And so luckily before my infinite wisdom when I was intoxicated gave my grandmother my fiance's phone number Mm -hmm. and um so I said call Marilyn the next door neighbor and she's an older lady herself but you know she's got a little more strength so I said call Marilyn get her over here and in the meantime while she called Marilyn to come over she had texted my fiance and said you need to get over here like now Drop whatever you're doing. Get over here. And um, so while he was on his way, um, the next door neighbor came in, and she somehow got me out of the tub. Together, some I'd somehow regained some strength in my right arm to get my movement in my right arm to get out. Made it to the door frame, face planted into the hallway. And just as I face planted and landed, um, my fiance walked in the door. And I don't remember this, but I'm told all I said is call 911. Mm. And so ambulance came, apparently took like six firefighters, police officers, stuff like that to get me up, Mm. put a pair of shorts on and get me onto the gurney Mm. and then get me out. So I spent a few days in the hospital and that was like the height of COVID. And so they... Um, they thought maybe I had it. They didn't know. So my detox was five days It's basically in solitary confinement. Okay. So I yeah, was I all alone and it was good. Cause I left right there from there and went to pride. Um, we didn't even go home. We didn't do anything. I just said, screw it. Pack a bag. Just throw a bunch of shit in the bag, suitcase, bring it in the car. When you pick me up from the hospital, we're going right there. Um, and so, um, but being in solitary confinement was, was good and bad in a way. It sucked being alone. And daytime TV sucks. <laughs> but, but it gave me a chance to really sit and think and reflect on what I've done, what I've put the people around me through. And for anybody listening, if you want to do the math, I just celebrated the 15th anniversary of my 29th birthday. <laughs> I'll be 29 till I die. Um, but <laughs> I was thinking, I'm not a young man anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't keep doing this to my body. And, you know, I, I took some of the things that I'd heard previously at Pride and heard again mm-hmm. my second time around, play the tape all the way through, play the mm-hmm. tape all the way through. And um, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be 60 and I'm going to be I've never seen The show Shameless but I've seen pieces of it and I'm like yeah I don't want to be that
0: guy Frank Gallagher trend, yeah. trending towards Frank Gallagher <laughs> yeah
2: I know and I'm like I don't want to be that guy and and I thought back to the movies I've seen like Flight mm-hmm. um and actually it's one of the a uh, guy I have, he's an acquaintance but he had posted a question on Facebook the other day about good movies about addiction and I was like Flight's a great movie. Yeah. Because it really touches on all aspects and how, if you let you go and get out of control, you're going to end up one of two places, the grave or jail. Yep. And I didn't want to end up either of those places. Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, it's time. And actually, my um, I couldn't figure out a couple weeks ago. My fiance, I kept saying, babe, we need to find you a job. Mm-hmm. You need to work. I can't just be the sole provider for this family. And he'd gotten a job at over the holidays. He didn't like it. I couldn't figure out what was going on, and finally, one night, I said, "Babe, I hate to keep pressing you on this." But we find you love music. Go work at Schmidt Music. Go work at Guitar Center. Um, Find a job at a school teaching music. Why I have to have an advanced degree. I said, No, you don't. We'll find something. And he started to tear up. And I said, What's the matter? And and this makes me emotional. Um, He lost it. And he said, I just don't know what to do. I spent so long. Every day, worrying, what am I going to walk into? What condition is he going to be in? What messes am I going to have to clean up? Am I going to have to take him to the hospital again? You know, is, am I going to get a text message from his grandma saying he's dead? He's like, I lived a year, a little over a year, every day with that fear. Not knowing what I was walking into. And he's like, now that you're sober, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And when he said that, it killed me. Absolutely killed me. Because we don't, as addicts, we don't think about... I mean, we, we see the surface stuff of how it affects the people around us. But until we stop and have that conversation with our loved ones, we don't realize how much it actually affects Everyone around us, hmm. everyone that's close to us. So we, he and I have been working through that, um, and I keep reassuring him every morning I wake up. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry today. So we made a we made a rule. One now that I'm a truck driver, and he's like, "You're gonna be making all this money." Hmm. So can I be a stay at home husband? <laughs> I was like, "I love you to death." And I would love that, but you're 25. You need to work. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but we came up with a a now rule that till June, I told him just take some time, take some time to process it, to, to feel comfortable in knowing that you don't have to live like that and you don't have to worry like that anymore. And it's still hard. I mean, it's still we don't talk about the past. We call it the time before. And even my grandma does it too. Because they would bring it up and I'm like, you know that it kills me. Because if you bring up the past and what happened in the time before, I relive it in my head. And it's like, I would I we'd be driving somewhere and I'm like, oh, um, brick and bourbon. We should try that restaurant sometime. I heard it's really good. And I get, we did. We did. When? Well, it wasn't the time before. (laughs) Or we should go to this place. We have. It wasn't the time before. So, working through all that, not only my internal processing of it and trying not to relive all that, but also,
1: while not trying to relive it, trying to ensure that it never happens again. I want to backtrack a little bit because i think your story is really common so one thank you for sharing um, all the details um and two i think you're exactly right like i think addiction affects everybody Mm -hmm. you know in your life and um obviously you had your grandmother obviously you had your fiance um can you talk about i guess in between your stays at pride because you said 2015 Mm -hmm. and then you came back around 2020 yep um so what was that five-year period like uh, so, I mean, af- after I left in 2015, um, I
2: was good for a year and a half. I did that first time I did IOP mm-hmm. um, afterwards um, and then graduated IOP. And then um, then I was good. I was coming to the Friday meetings at Pride all the time. I had a couple other meetings I was going to. And then I was like, I got this, I got this. And I... I so much has happened since then. I can't remember where the wheels fell off. Um, I know it started slow. Um, not long after I got out of Pride that first time, I think that's when I lost my house. And I think the wheels started to go off then. Um, Cause it was a brief time where I found myself homeless. And so I was living out of my car Moving from parking ramp to parking ramp. And at the time I had lived in North Minneapolis. Um, and I was moving from the MCTC parking lot to whatever other parking ramp I could find. I could hide out in mm-hmm. for the night. Um, or trying to find friends that I could stay with for a night. But I was so embarrassed about it. I
0: didn't want anyone to know. Mm-hmm. Especially my family.
2: Um, so I really didn't tell anybody. And then I thought, okay, that, and I know a lot, I've heard it from a lot of other addicts and people in the community that are like, oh, a change of scenery, a change of scenery, that'll help me, that'll totally help me not drink anymore. (laughs) It doesn't work. It so doesn't work. So the industry that I had been in for 20 plus years, um, we had a branch, kind of a branch uh, division, I guess you could say down in Amarillo, Texas and I was seeing this guy at the time and it was just coincidence. I had gotten an email from the, the owner of the branch down there or the dealership down there and um, this guy I was seeing was from there and wanted to move back. So stars aligned, I guess you could say, moved to Texas and It was great the first couple months and then the wheels fell off. Mm -hmm. We broke up and I was in the city. I didn't know anybody. And it was just a bunch of drama and then the wheels really fell off. So it just, it starts off small. And then you're like, okay, I need to do something drastic to get back on track, to get back on the wagon. And And it's, like I said, it's the age old thing I've heard so many times, change your scenery. I'm home to a different city where I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends. So I can't get in any trouble. Well, the problem with my DOC, alcohol, it's everywhere. Every block. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I found myself doing, when I was down there, I found myself doing what I would do up here is finding four or five liquor stores close to the house and rotating around them. But it's just like, Um, Even when I was up here before, I went to Pride the second time, um, my fiance and I had gone to Costco to get some stuff for his house and for my grandma. And I was like, I'm just going to pop into the liquor store. And I walk in and the four people in there like, hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Kim. Hi, Omar. Mm -hmm. Hi, (laughs) Jeff. And my fiance is like, babe, the people at the liquor store at Costco know your name? Like, babe, that's bad. And even when I was in Texas, uh, the people in the liquor store know my name. And actually, a, a few months ago, I got a text message from one of the ladies at the liquor store down there just asking me how I was doing.
1: Oh, that's nice.
2: She, I think, I'm not 100% positive, but I think she has a family member that's in recovery. Mm. And so I think she recognized the fact that I was there every day or every other day mm-hmm. buying another giant bottle of, of alcohol mm-hmm. so you think it of, of scenery and then you get into social situations um, where it's like drinking is everywhere and I mean I used to, go to have to go to happy hours for, for work and for business and social events and gatherings and stuff like that and it's like you want a glass of wine? you want a beer? you want a glass of wine? blah blah blah
1: yeah, well, and it becomes so much more of a status thing than anything. Yes. and then you do it to try and fit in because yep. if you're the odd man out, you mm-hmm. know, then everybody notices and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, why aren't you one of us? Exactly. One trick I did find um, towards the end.
2: One um, well, actually towards the end here, um, but because I was I was too also the guy that did I didn't want to be that guy, where I was the g- wasted guy at the social event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would have one or two drinks at the event, but I got wasted before and after. And if after I've had one or two at the event, I would go give the bartender like 20 bucks and I'd be like, I'm going to come up and ask for a drink. Just make sure it's soda, water and lime Mm -hmm. in a low ball glass. So it looks like a drink, but it's not a drink. Mm -hmm. So it takes away that social pressure a little bit. But, was still wasted before the, and as soon as I got home I was making another drink
0: mm-hmm. so something I'm hearing a lot in your story a common theme I'm picking up on is a, the piece of shame like there's yes. a lot of you avoiding wanting you know to go to different liquor stores you mm-hmm. know to rotate parking lots so people don't know that you're living in your car yep. um, can you talk about how that piece played into your recovery did it enable you to use trying to like avoid being seen by people
2: yeah it helped numb Um, it's just like, um, actually it came up the other night. So my fiance now got me into online gaming. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. Um, and so it's not only he and I, and Brandon, we're sitting like five feet from each other now, um, but all his cousins are on and somebody brought something up and I said something about the shame of it and numbing. And I said, you know, I said, I said, babe, you remember even me. Like I told you, I don't even taste it anymore. Like I was drinking vodka straight and it, it, it tasted like water to me. Mm. I didn't even have, it It was to numb. It was to not feel, to not feel that shame, that guilt, that hurt, Um, you know, just to not feel it. And I, and you mentioned shame and I think back, um, my counselor was Catherine, um, when I was at residential and towards the end, um, we were kind of talking about shame and guilt and stuff like that. And um, she said, you know, is having a drink shameful? And I said, well, I guess I don't know what you mean. And long story short, it was basically the act, like if, like say you had a glass of water, taking a drink from that, that's not shameful. It's what happens after that. Drinking a drink of vodka, is the actual act of taking the drink is not shameful. It's what happened after that. It's sneaking around, sn- turning off my phone. So, cause now my fiance can track me on my phone. My grandma's always had the ability to track me on front finder, mm-hmm. um, but turning it off so they can't see that I'm sneaking to the Costco liquor store or something like that. And And then I would drink more after I've committed that first act of drinking, to cover up the shame and pain that I've had um, from knowing that I'm screwing up again, I'm screwing up, and as an addict, I think that shame and guilt does mm-hmm. rule our lives. And it, I mean, it, so much so that you just keep perpetuating. It's it's kind of like like I had mentioned before we got on. Um, I just got done doing training and stuff like that, and my test for becoming a truck driver. And when I was training the other guys, um, there was an analogy I used where I was like, when you start overcorrecting one way, you have to overcorrect the other way and you have to overcorrect and it starts this cycle. And it's the same with shame and guilt. You know, once you start the cycle and you start partaking in your DOC to cover up that shame, then you're covering up the shame of covering up the shame of covering up the shame and the guilt. And then it just snowballs. And it just keeps getting bigger and longer and more intense, and then before you know it, you face planted in the hallway, and have to have the ambulance come get you. Yeah. So
1: yeah, so it's it's a dominating factor. That's so fascinating too, given like, obviously pride, we, everybody that comes to our doors is queer one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And like, I think back to like our time in the closet Mm -hmm. where it's like, you have to think about the way you walk, the way you talk, you know, you can't let them know what kind of music you listen to or what your interests are. If you Mm -hmm. watch the golden girls, like everything is just so calculated and manipulating your place and your status in the world and pairing that with like, you know, addiction and recovery it's like two very very similar things yes
2: yeah and 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 i'm glad you brought that up because this last four weeks i've i've had it's been harder luckily i've had my fiance by my side the whole time and we're only in class uh, monday through thursday and then i'm home friday saturday sunday um but i've had to hide who i am when i talk when i'm in training because this industry is very male-dominated and very homophobic and racist dominated. Um, and so everybody thinks down there thinks I'm married to a woman. I call her B. Cause it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Um, they think, they actually think I'm a straight conservative Republican Trumper. And it, but I've had to, I've had to conceal that. And that's been harder, too, because then I keep thinking, okay, well, now I'm having to hide who I am. I don't want to feel this shame and guilt of being who I am, being the complete opposite of what they think I am. And, but I I know I can't go back into that life. Mm I can't go back into the drinking. Because then I'll just be right back where I was
1: before. Well, and this is your job that's going to bring you to the next phase of your life. So it's like, that's... Awful that that still exists. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, comments are made,
2: and I and it's usually very hard to offend me. I'm, I'm. A, I know it's horrible to say, but I'm the most non-PC gay man there is out there. I just don't have time. And um, but the F word does get under my skin. I hate that. And our instructor made a comment the other day when he was talking about San Francisco. He used the F word and it was so hard, so hard not to say something. Not to just unleash and be like, okay, listen, first of all, I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not Republican and I'm not conservative. I'm not straight and married to a woman. I'm a gay Democrat. (laughs) Marrying a man. (laughs) Get over it. But... um, But it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. And one of the other guys in the class, I can't, I don't think he's, he's gay or queer or anything, but um, he's very quiet and meek. And I can see when the comments are made around him, it's harder for him to take. Um, And I made a comment to him, well, uh, Wednesday night, because we had to be, we had to leave to go to Wisconsin at 5 a.m., and he lives up in New Hope near me in Maple Grove. And instead of driving the hour and 20 minutes at two or 3 a.m., I was like, just stay in my hotel room with me. It'll just be easier. Because I was just staying down there on my own dime. Because it's easier than driving two hours a day, back and forth. And and I, we were talking about something. And I said, I can tell it kind of makes you uncomfortable when, when the guys make comments about race and stuff like that. And about conservatives and liberals and the F comment and he's like, Yeah, I, I'm not used to that. I've not I've never been around that. He was homeschooled his whole life. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's 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 not easy but being in my advanced years of twenty nine um <laughs> sometimes you have to do what you have to do and yeah it sucks that you have to put up with it but You got to do what
0: you got to do. Yeah. And it's really just surviving at at that point. And so it sounds like, you know, that shame is a journey and, you know, it's not just like you get sober and then you don't experience shame anymore. I mean, it it shows up in all types of ways in our lives. So I think that's really important that you've shown a light on that today. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your perspective.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices.
0: You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts.
1: Don't forget to follow and subscribe.
0: We'll see you next time.